Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as he said. Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. It's time! Hello everyone and welcome to episode 19 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and with us today is Michael Schwartz. Hello everyone. Kristen Lopez. Hello. And making his long-awaited return to the Next Best Picture podcast. It's been probably since the fall or so since we last heard his voice. We have Mike Vermette. Hey, how's it going, everyone? So, Mike Vermette, uh, for anyone that does not know, uh, is a regular contributor on the site. Uh, we try to get him on the podcast whenever we can here. Mike, you just got back from seeing Underworld Blood Wars, it's called. Yeah, Blood Wars. Uh, it was pretty awful, actually, as you can see in my review. Um, definitely not the best way to start off 2017 in film. But, uh, you know, it's a fun series, and this just happens to be a low point, but it happens. But this is why we keep you around, Mike, because you have the willpower to go see Underworld Blood Wars, as my, I myself actually saw a, a stinker to start off 2017. I saw The Great Wall with Matt Damon, and that was, ugh, that was not decent. Okay, but, I but mean, there he, was some... was, he was hot, right? So that's all we need. <laughs> <laughs> We're calling Matt Damon hot still. Like um, this is, I call this Matt is still Damon hot still. Yes. I mean, Kate Beckinsale is hot. Maybe not so much in Underworld, but she's hot in general. You know what? Let's just get Kate Beckinsale, and Matt Damon in a movie. Matt Damon and his man pony. I mean, that was <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> hey, you know what? He co-starred alongside Oberyn Martell from Game of Thrones. That that that's enough for me at least. But I mean, the movie itself was still crap. I have images of a way better movie in my head with that pairing. <laughs> Speaking of Underworld, I know Kate Beckinsale was married to the director, uh, Len Wiseman. Yeah. She was so good in Love and Friendship last year. I thought she was uh, sort of beyond this franchise now. So to see her go back, maybe she needed the paycheck or something. Uh, Something tells me that she was committed to this already, maybe contractually. Yeah, I have a feeling that's something more like that. Uh, Perhaps. Or maybe she likes seeing her ex-husband. Who knows? Well, but he has. I don't think he's involved. Maybe as a producer, but I don't. He's definitely not yeah, directing he's a producer, this one. It looks like which ex-husband? Because Michael Sheen is also in Underworld, and they were together and have a child. <laughs> oh my god! I'm just saying, nobody else knew that but me. <laughs> I've never seen any of them. The first one's good. The third one's the first okay. two are pretty good. 
I, one and three, I think, are the high points. Yeah, I can agree with that. I've never seen a single one, so go figure. Uh, but enough talking about crappy films, though. Um, <laughs> let's move over to other films. Uh, we're still talking about 2016 in many ways, and a lot of that has to do with the film award season, of course, of course, of course. Um, the Golden Globes uh, are actually happening tomorrow night, but we're recording this podcast over the course of uh, two evenings, so we will have our reactions to that later on in this episode. But right now, we are recording. It is Saturday, and we do have a whole week of guilds to talk about. So some of the guilds started to unveil um, quite a bit of their nominations this week. There's some shockers, some snubs, some inclusions that are pretty awesome for the most part. Uh, The first ones that released were the ACE Eddies. Um, It's basically the American Cinema uh, Editors, and they separate, uh, uh, separate their categories into dramatic comedy, animated feature film, and, you know, last year, everybody was making this big, big scene about how Spotlight did not receive an ACE Eddie nomination. So there was no way it could win Best Picture, right? But that obviously uh, got broken last year. So, uh, you know, it, it seems like whenever we look at these things from a stats standpoint, stats are made to be broken one way or another. And it seems like, if anything, more and more what I what I at least I tend to do now with guilds is I tend to look at it more so as which are the films that people are talking about more so than anything. What films are in the conversation are on the tips of people's tongues. Um, so I think there were a couple of uh, omissions here, and obviously I think the big one, Thelma's uh, schoolmaker, did not make it in for uh, Silence, and she's really, really well respected amongst the uh, the editors. So, moving moving on from that, just really quick, let's just let me just uh, round off the nominations here. Starting with, uh, let's start with animated feature film. There were three: Kubo and the Two Strings, Moana, Zootopia. I mean, that's pretty much a, a done deal, right? Those are like the three de facto runners in that category, pretty right? Much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Sausage Party, I think, is dead in the water at this point. I honestly, if it couldn't show up at Golden Globes, doesn't show up here, doesn't show up really anywhere, I don't see that getting an animated feature nomination at this point. Yeah, that's pretty much done. Uh, We then move over to comedy, and this is very interesting. So Deadpool, okay, Mm. which we're going to talk about a lot here. Uh, Hail Caesar, Michael, I'm sure you were happy about that one. I was. uh, Roderick Jayans, which is really the Coen brothers. I know. Is it? Isn't it amazing that they write, direct, produce, and then edit their own films? Like, they do it all. That's, like, just such... God, they're, they're just such... They're such treasures to us cinema-goers. I love the Coen brothers. And I love the editing in that film, so I'm happy to see it there. Good, good. Uh, the Jungle Book, La La Land, shocker. Uh, and yeah. actually, the real shocker was The Lobster, which I don't think a lot of people expected to show up here. But that's pretty cool to see that people are at least talking about The Lobster still. Um, Especially when you think about people saw this film way, way back. Even before 2016. I think people saw it in like 2015. Can 2015. Yeah. So that's just nuts that this film is still in the conversation at this point. What do you guys make of uh, that group there? Um, Especially uh, Deadpool showing up. It's shocking to me that Deadpool is getting nominated for everything. (laughs) Like I just I just don't understand. Like I like it. I like it a lot. I hate the comic book character, but I love the movie. 
But, like, I saw it, and I wasn't like, oh, this is awards fair. I was just like, oh, this is a really good, like, fun popcorn movie. So what do you think it is that's got people mentioning it during awards season? I think they think that it's the cool the cool response, almost. Because I, I know there was talk on Twitter about the fact that, you know, Sausage Party is similarly gross and, and you know... Um, What's the word I'm looking for here? Vulgar and, you know, kind of shocking. But Deadpool being a comic book movie, the fact that it's not necessarily sexually explicit, I think they think it's the safe, like, cool bet. You know, we're going to get... I mean, it's a it's a good movie, but it almost seems like they're trying to capture a zeitgeist by picking it. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't need to talk again about how much I loathe Deadpool. But I think the reason it's been showing up here is partially because of how well it did. Almost a year ago, let's remember, it came out in February of 2016. Right. Uh, people remember it in a way that when, it's, when there's an opportunity to reward it, they might take that chance. Like at the Golden Globes, it getting in for actor and best picture comedy, that's not so unexpected. That's a place where it could thrive for people who like it. An ace nomination, they also break it up by category. So comedy, yeah, if it were five nominees and it gets in, that would be a little bit more suspicious. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the way that they break it down, it's not so much shocking, but rather, in my own opinion, undeserving. Um, You know, I think as far as it's actual, like looking at it on a, on a technical level, it's actual editing, it's fine. It's not bad. It's also not the best I've seen this year, but I also have that little voice inside my head that's saying, are you being genre biased when you say that? Are you? Because I'm thinking back, like, you know, the scene where, uh, like the action scenes, and then he has the moments of the, you know, did I leave the stove on? And then it flashes back, and we're seeing him before the accident, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's a unique framing structure to the movie. It's nothing special, you know what I mean? And that's why I say it's kind of like middle of the road. I I, I agree with Kristen. I think that it's – and I also agree with you, you, Michael, to a certain degree. It's not that it's deserving. It's just part of the zeitgeist and it's cool and it's the kind of nominee that people can include right now and not necessarily feel bad or come under fire for doing so. People will question it. They'll be like like we are and be puzzled, you know. But I'll tell you right now, if it starts showing up in other places like PGA, for example, yeah, yeah, this is going to get a little out of hand at a certain point. But well, you know we'll- what? We've seen this before when uh, films like Straight Outta Compton or Harry Potter make it with some of the guilds, and they don't seem like the most deserving things at first or the most... Obvious, I should say, not deserving. Hey, hey, hey! Straight out of Compton was definitely deserving. Oh no, I love Straight Outta Compton. That's I mean, like you mean like it, it was unexpected, basically. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mean deserving. Yeah, so films like that sort of come out of left field. Mm-hmm. I think that's more what this is, and we'll talk about uh, films like that a little later when we discuss PGA next week. Absolutely. Now, this is where the real meat and potatoes are. Best edited feature film, dramatic. We have Arrival. Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. Now, if this were the five for Oscar, 
that that would be all well and good. But here's the problem. It isn't going to be the five because we know for a fact that La La Land is definitely going to be nominated for the editing Oscar. So which of these five would you replace with La La Land? I mean, I'd probably say Arrival would uh would get the, the cut for me. Well, really? You think Keller Highwater makes it in? I, I do. I mean, I personally do. I think it's it's a better shot, better edited movie all around than Arrival. Yeah. I mean, I do agree that I, I think it's a better edited film, but I think Arrival is going to uh, dominate the text. I do think Arrival is going to also... Yes, I agree with you, Michael. I think it is going to dominate the text. Um, I'm also predicting it for a Best Picture nomination. Uh, this is really tricky for me. I, I think the most vulnerable one is honestly, and I know this is a controversial thing to say. I think the most, I think the most vulnerable one is Manchester by the Sea. I that was the one I was going to say because I don't. I mean, the editing is fine, but. I didn't notice anything distinctive, but keep in mind, I haven't seen Moonlight, so I don't know if somebody would say that about that film. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Manchester gets in, and I think it's a well-edited film. I know some people have issues with it. Yeah. I'm actually predicting that uh, Manchester and uh, Hell or High Water missed the Oscar nomination, and another film that could sneak in at Oscars that didn't make it here is Lion. Mm, yes. Although... I am starting to think that that film is losing buzz, um, even and I and I I'm not kidding when I say this. Even in stuff like adapted screenplay, um, and most of that has to do with its poor box office showing. So I don't know necessarily if the word is strong enough for line to carry through outside of Dev Patel, Nicole Kidman, and even picture is shaky at this point. I I'm starting to wonder and doubt its chances. We'll see. I know the Weinsteins have had some trouble this year. I don't know if that's going to reflect any of its award season success or failures. Mm -hmm. But uh, we should also mention you said Thelma Schoonmaker didn't get nominated here. Right. Which I don't think was because of her. I just don't think the film has been seen necessarily. There's been some issues with screeners. This is like Selma all over again. Mm -hmm. But uh, come Oscar, this might be the film that like gets totally ignored at the guilds and shows up in the text or doesn't show up at all. I mean, it's really just the coin toss at this point. Yeah. A lot of people are going to have to answer for that. Come their Oscar nomination picks or, you know, essentially are you expecting silence to get in or are you expecting silence to be near shut out? Because I don't think silence is going to get a total shutout. I think that would be, disgra- no, no, I think no, that would be no. disgraceful, honestly. But you know, the question is, are you going to go big with it? Because it has the potential to go big. It could get seven nominations. Or are you going small? Like three, two, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, it'll definitely factor in in some way. I'm just not 100% sure how right now. Right. Right. Alrighty. So moving on from uh, ACE, the next uh, guild to unveil their nominations. Well, actually, let's 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 bounce around. Let's go to the Art Directors uh, Guild, actually. So art directors have three categories. They have period film, fantasy film, and contemporary film. Let's start off with contemporary, seeing as how traditionally not much from contemporary tends to get in with Oscar, although La La Land is in contemporary. So, uh, But with that said, La La Land, Hell or High Water, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, Nocturnal Animals. I don't know about you guys, but 
something tells me that nocturnal animals could upset La La Land here. Why do you think that? Just because, like, the design of the house? It's not so much that. It's just, I think that, I think with people, obviously when people think Tom Ford, right? He's a fashion designer. And I know that that's not necessarily what this is. Uh, this is more set design, you know? And I understand that he's more, you know, about the costumes, what have you. But there is still a meticulousness and a sophistication to the way that his films are designed aesthetically overall in terms of the cinematography, the costumes, the production design. And the opening credits also, like the red backdrop we see there. Yeah, there, there's a style uh, okay, to I, it. I and and also, I think that it's a reward for the fact that he's really paying tribute to the Sam Peckinpah film aesthetic of the 70s, and he's really pushing himself yes. beyond what he gave people with a single man you know, he's really challenging, I think, the expectations of what people assumed from With him. With that said, I think La La Land still takes this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely I, for La La Land. Yeah. I you mean, just think of that final montage in the last 10 minutes of the movie and how meticulously crafted that is. It's not even so much that. It's also um, a quantity more so than anything because that mm-hmm. montage packs how many different set pieces in, inside of it. You, you lose track of counting it. You have just things from silhouette to like a big Broadway dance number. And then uh, there's something with a globe that you see and like, what is it? Almost like a dollhouse setup. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think it's undeniable that La La Land wins this. Although if nocturnal animals were to take it, I don't want anybody to necessarily be shocked. Yeah. Although that movie is the definition of shock. <laughs> so it wouldn't surprise me that much. <laughs> uh, moving over to fantasy film. Uh, Arrival, Doctor Strange, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, Passengers, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. This is tough. It is. I would personally give it to Fantastic Beasts because I think they did a great job of recreating 1920s New York there. But there's also some very interesting work going on with Arrival when you go into the, what is it, the pods, uh, the spaceship or whatever they call it. It's very minimal, but striking work. Does that does that like make sense? Yeah. I, I honestly though, I, and I and I feel so bad for saying this. I really do. I actually prefer Passengers production design. I honestly do. I think it's a really shit movie, <laughs> and I really hate it. But I thought the production design was really really good. <laughs> So I'm actually going to pe- uh, catch up with Passengers this week, I think. Oh, Just God to see help the technical you. elements. And uh, I've heard good things about the look of it from cinematography to production design. Mm-hmm. Thomas Newman's score is nice. So th- 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 there's some redeemable aspects to it outside of, you know, story, character, <laughs> plot. General rapey vibe. The big stuff. Yeah. The, uh, the the excessive promotion of rape culture. You know, just small things like that. So what you're saying is most movies. Got it. Got it. <laughs> what about Rogue One? Oh, God. <laughs> Mike, I know you're a big fan of Rogue One. I do like Rogue One. Um, I mean, I think it, it looks really good. I mean, I think it's got good set design. Um, I'd probably have to give it to Arrival, though. That would be my pick for this one. Okay, okay. Uh, I am going to lean towards, 
I'm going to lean towards Arrival as well. When in doubt, just go with the more critically well-reviewed film. So that's that's honestly just where my head is going with this. Although my heart tells me that Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them probably takes it. Uh, as far as, you know, which of these will be getting nominated for Oscar, by the way, we'll get to that in just a moment because we still have one more category here, and that's period film. Cafe Society, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hail Caesar, Hidden Figures, and Jackie. So there was a tie here resulting in six nominations. Not a false note in that lineup. Um, no, honestly. I mean, even Fences. People like don't understand and don't realize how hard it is that if you're going to craft something that is you know, kind of limiting almost because of its um, the staginess of the screenplay, how much you got to make that accessible for actors to be able to move in and out uh, of the house in the backyard, put different things in the backyard for them to interact with, and just make it as cinematic as possible. You know, people don't understand that. It's like you remember watching in Birdman how the actors move on the set. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how it's done here in Fences. Like, you have to set this up like a play and have the actors move around and make it easy for them. Yeah. So that's very well-deserved. The one film here that uh, has stuck out to me since February of last year oh, boy, is here it comes. Caesar. Yep. I think that should win in a heartbeat. I don't think it will. But just, uh, you know, typical Coen Brothers production values are out of this world extraordinary. And they work with so many different sets here and different designs. It's unbelievable to me. Well, what do you think is winning here, Jackie? No, I don't think Jackie's going to win. Uh, It's a really tough call uh, because none of these look like an Oscar winner either. No. It's tough. Maybe it is Hail Caesar because that's definitely the showiest of all of them. I I think so too here, honestly. I mean, the the only thing I'll say about Cafe Society, which I do love personally... It's uh, Santa Laquasto, who does a lot of the Woody Allen films and some Broadway things. He's really well-respected, so if there were a vote just in his name, that could be something. Plus, that's also period 1930s Hollywood and New York. Yeah, but I don't think that Woody Allen captures it the same way that the Coen brothers are able to capture it in camera and really, really show it off. Yeah, well, Tale Caesar is definitely bigger in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, maybe it is. Maybe it's Hail Caesar. I'm leaning it towards the two. Mike, Kristen, what do you guys think? I could say Hail Caesar. I mean, I, I like it a lot. So, And I've been praising its design for a while. So I'm going to go with that. I will say that after listening to a lot of the uh, the next Best Picture podcasts, I definitely want to check out Hail Caesar again. Uh, Michael's always talking about it. And uh, he actually makes me want to rewatch it and give it another look. Oh, I'm glad. But, uh... I'm going to go with Fences. I like just saw that movie recently and loved it and thought the production design was amazing. I mean, it looked like I imagined that time period would look like. So, uh, yeah, I think that one takes it. Okay. You know what, though? If Hail Caesar does win here, it should win for the design of the swing and dignity alone. <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, I think if Hail Caesar wins here, I think it automatically – and it, I, I think it automatically could get nominated – uh, for the Oscar uh, with a win here. I've really been thinking that. And did you know the film was done on a $20 million budget? Yeah, I did. So for it to look that good on that small of a budget just 
says a whole lot right there, I think. Well, it's also the magic of uh, Roger Deakins. That guy can make anything look like, you know, $40 million, so. Hey, everyone. I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh, new releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. (laughs) Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. All righty, moving on to the big one of the week, the Writers Guild of America. So this was crazy uh, for a couple of different reasons. Absolutely. Let's first uh, mention going into this, the following films were all disqualified. Florence Foster Jenkins, The Lobster, Everybody Wants Some, Miss Sloan, Patterson, Lion, The Handmaiden, L, Cretia, Finding Dory, Julieta, Kubo and the Two Strings, Tony Erdman, and Zootopia. So all of those, not going to show up here. That was it. End of story. So, starting off first with documentary screenplay, uh, this was odd to me because I thought that, you know, we would get some of the other uh, Oscar contenders, but what we ended up getting was uh, Offer of a J.T. Leroy story, uh, Command and Control, and what is this one? Zero Days, which is like the only one that I've heard of. Um, I, have never, I haven't even heard of the other two. So, in my oh, opinion... author, the J.T. Leroy... That, that yeah. one's a pretty. I haven't seen it. But it's I've good. Story it's good. I've seen. I've seen really? it. It's it's good. Recommendation. I'm writing this one down. Alrighty. All for the GT Leroy story. The story itself is uh, sort of nuts. All right. All right. Gonna check that one out. Uh, all right. So let's move over to the two screenplay categories: adapted screenplay, Arrival, Deadpool. Fences, Hidden Figures, Nocturnal Animals. Why is Deadpool nominated? Again, like, what what the hell? I'll I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. WGA has a history of nominating comedies that do not go on to get nominated for the Oscars. Mean Girls was nominated here. The 40-Year-Old Virgin was nominated here. Um, Just, what was the most recent one? Uh, Didn't The Hangover? Get WGA? Or am I going nuts and thinking that? I might be going nuts. Uh, I'm totally blanking. I know it got the Golden Globe win. But regardless of which, I know for a fact that the WGA is more lenient towards nominating uh, successful comedy films. And there is a great comedy this year that is also also in the Oscar running that they totally ignored and put Deadpool in instead. The Edge of 17? No, I'm talking about for Adapted. Oh, God, I'm, like, worried what you're about to say. Love and Friendship. Oh, oh yeah. Love and Friendship that's was awesome. right. I forgot about Love and Friendship. Yeah, the, love and Friendship should have showed up here just for the Churchill scene, personally. Oh, my that was God. The, that was amazing. That is a wonderful screenplay. So quick and so witty. And it misses with the writers for Deadpool. Uh, I don't understand how that happens. I'll be honest. I think it just went over people's heads. Because I don't, I think that if you're not familiar with the, with that time period and that dialect, um, I I don't think that 
many people while watching that film can quote unquote get it. Yeah, uh, I do agree with that because the first time I saw it, I was sort of lost and I had to watch it at home again with the subtitles on to sort of catch everything that was going. Because no, none of you so guys quick. watch Sense and Sensibility or any other Jane Austen adaptation? I love Sense and Sensibility. It was just this particular one sort of just went so quick for me that I had to sort of look at it again to really appreciate it more. And I loved it. <laughs> Let, all right. Let, let's, take, let's take a look at the category here for a second. Um, of these five... Are we 100% confident that Arrival and Fences gets nominated for Oscar? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Deadpool's not getting nominated for an Oscar, so let's just dust that under the table. I would go so far as to say the hidden figures in Nocturnal Animals um, are not locks, and they both could potentially miss out because... This category is so. This category is really, really tough because there are like seven, I, I believe, like seven films that are like very, very viable for this category. Lion and Silence uh, are the two that are waiting in the wings to get in here. So, I, 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 I posed, I posed the question the other day to some people on Twitter. Because you also got to remember this too. Moonlight was campaigned in original screenplay at the WGA, but it's going to go adapted at the Oscars. Same thing with Loving. But then there's also a film I thought would get a nomination until I saw Hidden Figures yesterday, and that was Hacksaw Ridge, which I know is not the greatest written movie of the year, not close to it, but it's a really well-respected playwright behind it. And that's mm-hmm. a film I think the Academy is going to embrace in a big way. So you still think Hacksaw Ridge gets in even though it missed WGA? I did until I saw Hidden Figures. So you bumped it out for Hidden Figures? I did. I was surprised how well-written Hidden Figures was. Very smartly written, very smartly done. I think that has a place in there. Not a lock by any means, but I feel a lot better about it now having seen it. Yeah, I I think that with Hidden Figures, Nocturnal Animals, Lion... Silence, uh, Loving is the other one. I I think all of those are fighting for two slots where Arrival and Fences, I think, are the only ones that definitely get in. And Moonlight. Oh, and Moonlight. Sorry, that's right. Yeah. Um, So I think those three are definitely definitely in. And the other ones, I think you could honestly just flip a coin. I'm going to call it for Hidden Figures and Lion right now, but that could easily change another time. Loving might do it for Jeff Nichols. He's a... has some respect in the Academy, I think. And we're about to see it come, if not this year, very soon. Because he had two big films this year. I could see a day where Loving gets the screenplay nomination and that's it. Doesn't get in for Ruth Nega or Joel Egerton. No best picture, just a screenplay. Yeah, well, I would hate to see it shut out. So that would be a nice way to honor it. Almost like Inherent Vice a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I know that's Paul Thomas Anderson, but it got in with writing. Yeah, And it sort of true. had its presence there. All right, moving on to original screenplay then. Hell or High Water, La La Land, Loving, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. Uh, I got to ask this question because somebody asked me this the other day and it got me wondering. Let's just let's just play a hypothetical really quick. What does it mean to all of you if La La Land does not make it into original screenplay at the Oscars? That wouldn't be surprising. I, I, I could see that. Uh, yeah, I just I don't think the script 
is, I mean, the script is fine. I don't think there's any overtly gorgeous prose, though. I think it's mostly the lyrics that work. I think it'll get in, though. But it's, that's not a film that's so much about the dialogue, but rather the structure of the story and the themes and ideas that it represents. So I think at the end of the day, the writing branch will be smart enough to see that it's about something more than just what they're saying. But if it didn't get in, it would just uh, feed my suspicion that it doesn't win Best Picture even more. Yeah. So... Uh, I do think it gets in, though. I don't know that we're going to look at a situation with that happening. Somebody had just brought it up to me, just saying, "Hey, just consider the possibility that it doesn't get in." And can you, you know, can you see that happening? And I was like, you know what? Other than Gosling missing Best Actor, I would say screenplay is the next thing to go. So, but let's also remember that the artist got a nomination for screenplay. <laughs> yeah, that uh, I I totally disagree with that. By the way, that's a terrible nomination in my opinion but whatever uh moonlight or manchester by the sea to win wga manchester absolutely manchester yeah. onto the oscar I, I i agree i think kenneth lonergan's got it sewn up at this point i really do i think he's gonna give a great speech at the golden globes when he goes up there to accept for screenplay there as well and he's gonna be one of these people that gives i think a funny and just uh you know, sharp, dry speech at these award shows. And people are going to like him because he sort of, I don't know, not pokes fun, but sort of has this edge to him Mm -hmm. that the crowd is going to eat up. Guys, what do we think about the idea of Hell or High Water potentially upsetting Manchester by the Sea? That would be great. (laughs) Well written. It's well written, but I don't don't think it's a chance. Uh, You don't think it has a chance? I mean, it's it's second to Manchester by the Sea in terms of the critics' wins. I don't, I don't see it. I you know I think it's great. I like loved it, but I think Manchester by the Sea is much more deserving, much better written film. Okay, I can't believe the Lobster didn't get in. Uh, well, the Lobster was disqualified. Oh, that's I'm sorry, you said that. I forgot that was on the list. That's okay. I do think that gets in for Oscar though, in place of either uh, Moonlight or Loving. Oh yeah, no, I definitely think that. Um, did you just say Moonlight? In original. Yeah. Oh, 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 okay, okay. Right. <laughs> Ooh. I was going to say, I'm like, you're predicting Moonlight to not get in with adapted <laughs> screenplay? I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, it's definitely in for adapted, most likely winning adapted. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll move it on because uh, we're talking, obviously, about all these different Oscar categories right now. Um, we had written a piece uh, co- uh, collaboratively, you and I, you and I, Michael, along with Will, who, by the way, want to want to give a shout out to Will over in uh, where the hell is he? Australia, New I Zealand, think he's right in now. New Zealand, right now, then going to Australia. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Or maybe he's a Will. cameo in the new Thor movie from uh, Taika Waititi. No, that'd be pretty. That'd be pretty badass, actually. Just like wandered on set. <laughs> Uh, but in any event, though, um, he, he, myself, you, Michael, we all um, wrote messages to whatever Academy members may uh, follow us on Next Best Picture to please consider certain titles during the voting period because um, the votes, uh, the ballots, rather, went out uh, the day before yesterday and they're due on January 13th. So seeing as how this podcast will be up before January 13th, I also want to take a moment to talk about what we would like for Academy members to please consider during their voting process right now. 
Um, so, Michael, why don't you uh, start us off first and reiterate what you had said in the article? Okay, so rather than uh, single out movies that I know have no chance, I wanted to put a spotlight on films that I think are on the bubble right now and could sort of use an extra push of support. And the first one that came to mind is a film that I think is going to make my top 10 list when we name them in a couple of weeks, and that is Clint Eastwood's Sully, a film that I really liked when it came out in September, and I don't think is getting the respect that it deserves right now when we look at these Guild Awards and critics. I think this should be a Best Picture nominee, Best Actor for Tom Hanks, both of them at minimum. I think you could also go deeper into stuff like editing, screenplay, director for Clint Eastwood. It just should be considered across the board because I think this is such a well-done film that people are uh, sort of taking for granted. So that's one that came to mind. And then the other, sort of a long shot here, but I know people really love the performance, and that is Sally Field in Hello, My Name is Doris. Not a terrific film, but my God, is she committed to this. And people love her. She has two Oscars, obviously, a nomination for Lincoln in 2012, And as I said in my piece, people should just see the film to remind them why they really liked her in the first place. Yeah, I I agree with you on both of those accounts, actually. I I think that while I I secretly did not want Sully to necessarily overperform, I I do find it a little disheartening that it's not performing at all. And I would like to have it show up at least somewhere. I mean, Tom Hanks... Like, what does he have to do to get his next Oscar nomination? His last Oscar nomination was in 2000 for Castaway. 17 years ago. It's just, ah. You know what? I don't think that film is totally done yet. Because Mm. you look at the other Clint Eastwood film, uh, American Sniper. I'm going to wait until PGA to to totally rule it out. Because I'm telling you right now, if it doesn't make it in a PGA, Mike. Yeah, if it doesn't make PGA, I'm going to drop it like a hotcake. Don't worry. But there's something about it that, uh, I don't know. So consider everybody, whoever's listening, consider both films. All right, uh, Kristen, which film, performance, anything, what would you like for Academy members to consider while voting? Oh, gosh. Um, Nocturnal Animals for anything, because I think it's uh, amazing. It's my favorite movie, one of my favorites. Um I would love a world where Neon Demon gets some type of cinematography appreciation, because I think there's some fantastic cinematography. Um, And I don't care for the movie, but I I know a lot of people have been championing his performance, and it's not going to happen, but Colin Farrell in The Lobster uh, made himself unattractive to to get uh, some respect, and if we can support women being ugly for an Oscar nomination, then damn it, we should do it for the men, too. (laughs) Hmm. Interesting. And you know what? I will second that. I really, really, really think that Colin Farrell's work in The Lobster is some of his best work. Not totally his best, but some of his best. And he's somebody that still does not have a nomination as of yet, it's not going to happen, like you said, but it would be nice if it did. And it would be totally, totally one of those like out of nowhere left field nominations that if it did happen, people would go, how did this happen? And you know what's so funny about it is that it wouldn't be so surprising because he has been mentioned in a couple of critics. He does have a Golden Globe nomination. Like, it's not totally random. So... That would be something. That would be something else. How about you, Mike Vermette? 
anything that you particularly like from this year that you think that, that the Academy should be considering a little bit more other than the obvious contenders? I think uh, Edge of Seventeen got is getting totally overlooked. Um, yes, I loved that movie. I definitely in my top ten. Um, I think Haley Stanfield is incredible. I think Woody Harrelson's incredible. Um, it's well great written. Screenplay too. It's funny. Yeah, exactly. It's. I think from top to bottom, it's just a great movie, and it's a shame that it didn't get more love. Yes, I uh, definitely, definitely agree with that. Especially the screenplay, and man, Haley Steinfeld is absolutely amazing in that movie in my opinion golden globe nominee yeah uh for myself uh i'm like michael um these are two like fringe contenders right now and i just want to give them a boost uh and that would be for patriots day and silence um in regards to patriots day i think it's peter berg's best film he not only delivered this but also uh deep water horizon this year which also uh did both well critically um, it did make a, a, a bit of money. I mean, it wasn't a total hit, but it still did respectable. So with this film here, I think, you know, late December release, it's a film that, you know, when I look at how people are responding to it, they either really, really love it. I mean, like, like seriously love it. Nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 scores or for some reason or another, they really, really don't like it. There doesn't really seem to be a middle ground with this film. I'm one of those people that actually really does like it a lot. I think it's completely respectable um, to the heroes of Boston uh, and also to the people of Boston. I think that it is a film that is needed right now, especially when we have um, such conflict with our relations with the police. And I think it could do a lot to ultimately shed a light on the work that they do, especially because the film takes its time to show the aftermath of the bombing and the investigation and the manhunt that ensued afterwards. And I just think it's a riveting, entertaining, and all-around emotionally powerful piece of filmmaking. So that's what I'm going to say about Patriot's Day. I don't care where it shows up. I mean, even if it shows up in like editing and Two sound nominations, I'll be happy. I'm not asking for the world here. I'm not saying I want Best Picture, Best Director. I just don't want it to be a shutout because I do think it's one of the year's best films. Uh, and then this just goes without saying. Silence is a film that maybe it is just simply people had not had a chance to see it. And maybe in the next couple of weeks, we'll start seeing it pop up a little bit more. But as of right now, it's not popping up. I'm talking... Not a single Golden Globe nomination, nothing from SAG, nothing from Critics' Choice, N like nothing, zero, nada, nowhere, no WGA nomination, no Art Directors Guild nomination. I, I mean, I swear to God, if Rodrigo Prieto does not show up at the uh, American Society of Cinematographers Guild, I'm going to lose my mind because this film is one of the most well-shot films of the year. It is staggeringly beautiful. And it's also one of the most profound films that Martin Scorsese has ever, ever made. I was floored by this film and the amount of complexity that it offered me as a cinema goer. I was just absolutely floored by it. And I think that people, if they give it a chance, I know that it's a lot to ask. A three-hour film with such dour subject matter. I think that this is a film that is not just... Um, a great movie on its own, but I think it's a film that could potentially change people's lives when they walk out. 
that's the kind of power that I believe is within the context of silence. So, for the love of God, please do not ignore that film. Please, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, a shutout for that film on Oscar nomination morning would be a complete disgrace. It's Scorsese's best film of this decade so far, and it is up there with his other masterpieces, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Raging Bull, uh, I guess The Departed, depending on who you ask, etc., etc., etc. Alrighty. Woo! I'm out of breath. And so with that said, uh, we're now going to move over to um, our talk about this year's Golden Globe Awards uh, and our reactions to the winners. So let's head over into that now. Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InsessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. Okay, everybody. So the Golden Globes just wrapped up. I am still being joined right now by Michael Schwartz. Hello. And Kristen Lopez. So that happened. Uh, it, it did in many, many ways. And I don't know what you're referring to just yet exactly, but uh, the big takeaway from the evening ultimately is La La Land made history beating the record for most wins uh, at the Golden Globes, which was a tie previously held by Midnight Express and One Flew Over to Cuckoo's Nest. Each film won six Golden Globe Awards. La La Land now has the record at seven wins, and it also was from its seven nominations. It was a clean sweep for La La Land. Deserved? Undeserved? What do we make of this? Is it a little too much? The backlash was out in force on social media tonight. Um, and, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who is fine with La La Land as a movie. I, I think that my expectations and my interest in it have tempered significantly since watching it a second time. And it's understandable why it won. The Hollywood Foreign Press loves movies that kind of show that glitz and glamour. Um, and, and they love the big stars. So I understand why it won. Do I think that it deserved to sweep, especially in something like screenplay? Yeah, Where I would say oh that the dialogue... It, yeah, it's not really known for its kind of epic prose, but... It's more structure. But it, even structurally... Okay, are you saying this based upon the ending of the film? I'm saying everything that builds towards that ending... What gets you there makes you feel the emotion in the final scene. But you know how many screenplays have done that? It's nothing revolutionary. Well, I'd also argue, too, that much of that is the lyrics. I mean, if you read the script without the lyrics and the music, which I think is necessary, if you're reading a script that's just, like, lyrics with no audio to, to place that, how does that read? I mean, you're stuck kind of relying on character dialogue and stage directions, 
which I don't think have that same fluidity. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of memorable lines in the movie that aren't lyrics. So for me, I would think they would have gone with a wordier type of script like uh, Manchester by the Sea or Nocturnal Animals. You know, it's funny you say that about Nocturnal Animals because we kind of knew heading into the evening that they liked Nocturnal Animals as evidenced by the screenplay nomination, uh, the Aaron Taylor Johnson nomination, and also Tom Ford getting a Best Director nomination. But the first award of the evening... Oh my God, Aaron Taylor Johnson won Best Supporting Actor. How the hell did that happen? I was so happy. And my mom called that. My mom said, because her and I both love Aaron Taylor Johnson. And I'm a mom, that's, you, you don't have a horror shot in heaven of getting that. And they said it. And I was like, holy shit. Never under, what have I been saying? Never underestimate the power of Tom Ford Cologne. <laughs> I just... On one hand, I couldn't believe it, but on the other hand, I was like, that is so them. That is so HFPA. So, I don't think he gets an Oscar nomination. Uh, he will be the first person to win a Golden Globe for film and not get it since, uh, oh my god, I'm blanking on his name from the Sunshine Boys in 1975, I believe. Uh, not George Burns or Walter Mathel. Do either know... Either of you know who I'm talking about? I've never seen the movie. <laughs> uh, oh my god, from the tip of my tongue. Well, well Michael's thinking about that. I, I'm going to say I was happy about this. Richard Benjamin. There we go. Because um, I unfortunately did not see Moonlight because it did not play for very long in my theater. So as as much as I know everybody wanted Mahershala Ali, and I I've, love him at Hidden Figures, so by default I was kind of rooting for him, but... I mean, there's been some articles talking about how Aaron Taylor Johnson has, you know, really kind of sold Nocturnal Animals. And I don't know, I rewatched that the other day and that movie still holds up. If anything, I think it gets better and his performance gets better on a second viewing. I mean, he was definitely MVP of the movie for me. I really found him just menacing and just, you know, the great villain in the film. I don't know that I would hand him any nominations so that when I heard his name called last December, that was surprising, and even more so to hear him win tonight. But I mean, I think this is just more of an FPA thing that it's going to be a one-time shot. I think we could all say, I mean, I don't know if I'm putting words in your guys' mouths, but that was kind of the biggest surprise. Oh, yeah. Nothing else mm -hmm. uh, Nothing other else, than the screenplay. Yeah. Tying it back into the screenplay again, nothing uh, shocked me more than Damien Chazelle winning screenplay for La La Land and Aaron Taylor Johnson winning for Nocturnal Animals. Those two just made my jaw hit the ground. I mean, Chazelle surprised me because I predicted Manchester, but it wasn't a shock. I mean, he was my number two choice to win. Uh, I think it sort of surprised me. You mean, you me mean in terms of want to a... win? No, no, no. Predictions. Oh, come on. How can you tell me Barry Jenkins was not number two for you? I thought he was number three. I mean, that's I thought Giselle was number two, the way that they loved the film. And he gave the nomination there. I mean, what's to stop it? You know what? I mean, we have to also conclude now that with a Critics' Choice uh, win, which was a tie with Manchester, and now this Golden Globe win, if La La Land wins WGA, uh, you have to predict it for the Oscar at this point. I don't know if people are ready to do that now. Um... It's it's still a very odd feeling, and I, I I don't feel comfortable doing it. 
I, I, I know that the two groups have awarded it so far, but I, I'd rather wait for WGA to find out for sure. Think of La La Land as Argo to Manchester by the Seas Lincoln. Uh, and I think that Lincoln should have won. <laughs> as do I. But uh, it's like, on the other hand, here's a screenplay that uh, might not be the most deserving of winners, but it's not like you're getting a piece of... Uh, crap winner you know i mean we have to remember that screenplay typically does tend to follow uh the best picture winner so this is this is important you know this is definitely very important to consider but what i I just i i don't i I mean they're already gonna give director to chazelle why do you have to give him another one why can't you spread the wealth at the oscars or salt the globes you're in general (laughs) uh I, I do think Chazelle wins the Oscar, but I would not be surprised if they really spread the wealth no. and gave it to Jenkins. Uh, what, in terms of director? Yes. Oh, man. So let's talk about that. Best drama, Moonlight, the only award that it won all evening. It almost felt like a pity award because it wasn't going against La La Land. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but it kind of brought the house down and closed out the evening on a positive note because it did get a standing ovation. The room seemed to be responding to it very, very well. Um, what did you guys think of that moment? Did um, When Spotlight did the Globes last year, what did it win? I don't remember. Nothing. Nothing. Went home empty yeah, nothing. So, so I, I thought, you know, the fact that Moonlight won the big award, it was almost, it, to me... It felt like a spotlight or um, maybe like an Argo. That concept of it was all but forgotten. I think what you're thinking of, Kristen, is you're thinking of 12 Years a Slave. Thank you. I knew I was thinking something recent. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's what it felt like to me. Like, okay, this might not mean it's down and out. It could very well win picture. That would be the only thing it wins at, at Oscars. Oh, no way. I, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it might be one of those where it's going to win some big award that's out of place as kind of like an apology. <laughs> well, let's look at it from this standpoint, too. If you are predicting Moonlight to win the SAG Ensemble and you have to take a step back and you know say to yourself, when it comes to the Critics Awards, it's neck and neck with La La Land for Best Picture and Best Director. Um, it's won the Golden Globe along with La La Land. La La Land's not nominated for SAG Ensemble, and let's just say Moonlight wins that. And now, and we know pretty much almost for a fact that it's going to win Best Adapted Screenplay at the Oscars. I mean, I think all the ammunition is there. I mean, could you imagine if Moonlight wins the PGA and La La Land wins the DGA? People won't know what to do. And there you go, the preferential ballot. Yeah, so we'll have a real race on our hands. However, if La La Land wins the PGA and the DGA, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, I don't think so at all. You can't say anything it's signed, sealed, and delivered with the preferential ballot. Sure you can. Because you have the top three. And we were just talking before we went on air that I think Manchester by the Sea is really going to benefit from a preferential ballot. (sighs) That also has the SAG Ensemble nomination. Uh, Look, it could be any one of these three. I just don't want people to discount that. As someone who has worked with a preferential ballot um, recently... You get a couple of mo- you get one movie that gets a significant four and five. It doesn't matter what gets four and three or three and two because it's got you know you can maybe have one or two that are neck and neck for a while, but it always comes down to two. And it doesn't matter how many the I think a lot of people assume like the three and the four votes help. No, it's whatever comes out with the five and the fours. Really, that's at least in my experience. My experience. Yeah. 
That's what I've heard with Oscar, too. There was the great video a few years ago that Steve Pond from The Rap put together, mm-hmm. and he was doing it with poker chips. Yes, I remember that. And he shows how it gets eliminated, and then it was like, I believe, the uh, number three or number four that ended up winning. So, but the thing is that La La Land, to me, doesn't seem like a movie that anybody would actively hate. It does seem like it's either a love it, like high ranking, or uh, middle of the road. You know, like, oh, I I like it. I think there are people that hate it. I think there are definitely more people that love it. But you have people who either A, don't like musicals, or B, are the huge musical fans. Many of whom I've talked to, like fans of Singing in the Rain and films like this, who view La La Land as like a big Christmas present with nothing in it. They just think it's like confetti. So let's ask this question then. Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, La La Land. Which of those three films do we see being ranked the lowest on people's ballots? The lowest, not the highest. I I think Manchester gets a lot of the threes and then bumps itself up to possibly a winner. No, I, I, I just, I don't see that. I think it stays firmly in a three or two. It'll get a lot of three votes, but that's not going to be enough. But that is a movie you could, put, you could place anyone down in front of. So, Michael, let me ask you a question. If you're really, really committed to Manchester possibly winning the Oscar for Best Picture, Casey Affleck won the Golden Globe for Best Actor tonight. Um, are you predicting him to win the Oscar over Denzel? I am. I think SAG will be the last uh, telling moment. And there is a chance that Denzel wins at SAG because he's never won before. But unless something really happens with Casey and this controversy that's uh, bubbling a little bit, I think the win tonight at the Golden Globes sort of gave him the ammo he needs to go for the rest of the season. Now, Kristen, you observed something on the air that I actually didn't quite catch right away. But when I looked back, I did see it. Tell everyone what you saw when Casey won. (laughs) Yeah, it seemed like Brie Larson, she looked down at that paper, she said his name, and when he came up... She handed him the award and then turned and walked away. (laughs) She did not try to shake his hand. She didn't hug him. She didn't kiss him. She didn't go near him. She gave him the award and walked all the way across the stage. And, you know, last year when um, the Hunting Ground song was nominated, Brie Larson hugged every single one of those uh, rape survivors. And... Whether the Hollywood Foreign Press, you know, how how much they know ahead of time about the winners, um, that had to be uncomfortable for her. And she let it show. And, you know, good for Brie. (laughs) So I want to point this out. I think that if enough women uh, that are in the industry feel this way, I think that because Casey Affleck is essentially the movie, I think that that ripples down into the movie's chances as well. And if they're not ranking high because of uh, – if Casey's not ranking high, then the movie isn't ranking high. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And I could see that happening if people go to it. But just looking at where it is now and assuming it's just the same path going along for a couple of weeks, I mean, as it stands, such as how I see it, that is bound to change if there are developments to come. So if Denzel wins SAG, like you kind of might be predicting him to do so, or are you predicting Denzel wins SAG or Casey? You know what? I'm really not sure at this moment. I, it's basically a coin flip. And then if Denzel does indeed win SAG, I would look at BAFTA. Hmm. Interesting. So you're going to just keep on guessing it up until there's nothing left to look at, essentially. Yeah. I mean, this could be like the Clooney-Dujardin race or... Streep and uh, Davis, uh, 
it's uh, really unpredictable at this point. I'm going to say Affleck, but that could change. You really never know. See, at this point, I'm just predicting Manchester by the sea to win uh, screenplay, and that's it. So Yeah, there, there are a number of scenarios. Yeah, there's a couple different ways this can go. What I did not expect was that I did not expect La La Land to do a clean sweep in all of its awards, also winning for... Emma Stone in La La Land. It won also in Song for City of Stars, Best Score. Yeah, it's got to give a shout out to a Benj Pasek who grew up right down the street from me, Ardmore lo- uh, local native. Everybody grows up down the street from you, I've noticed. <laughs> I know. This is like the Philadelphia area. And you don't know it until these people become big stars and win. Well, I will say I will say that uh, Brie Larson and Jeremy Renner are both, both from uh, areas near me. So, And Jessica Chastain as well. Nice. Boom. (laughs) Um, I still have a problem with City of Stars being the ordained winner uh, for song because I don't think it's the best song in the movie, and I don't. But it's the theme of the movie. Yeah, but there's two different versions performed. They showed, they played both of them, and I I don't know. I just I think that they they like the concept, but they need to settle on a version (laughs) that they like. You know, let me ask both of you. When you think of La La Land, I'm sure a song pops into your head. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Or like a tune. So for me, there's two of them. I'm going to have to do a little singing here. It goes no, no, no like, it's okay. You don't have to dun, do that. Dun, 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 dun. And then the other one is dun, 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 dun. You know? Yeah. For me, it's the first one. Yeah. Uh, another Day of Sun. Yep. Yeah. Which one of them is on the short list? <sighs> Not Another Day of Sun. There you go. I know. It's ridiculous. I can't understand why. <laughs> Watch us start a fire win. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, moving on to a couple of different other topics here. Uh, Post Golden Globe, Emma Stone wins for La La Land Best Actress Comedy Musical. Isabel Huppert wins Best Actress Drama for L. I was surprised, but I wasn't. I, once it won for foreign language film, I was like, you know what? I probably should have picked her to win actress. Y'all know how I feel about that movie. <laughs> I heard she had some strength there. I understand, Kristen, where you're coming from with that comment, but I think that her performance, though, is quite good. It's not the best of the year. I, mean, I still think that does belong to Natalie Portman and Jackie. I don't even think it's the best two pair performance she gave no. in 2016. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not about that. What it comes down to is like, think of it along the lines of like Jeff Bridges winning for Crazy Heart. Not his best performance of his career, not the best performance of that year, but he's a well respected actor. Yeah, it's a, it's a career. It's a career not. And that's what this is. This is her finally just getting some recognition from an industry that has never recognized her before anywhere. And I'm just going to say my mother was shocked and appalled in a good way to find out that Isabel Huppert is 63 and still looks freaking phenomenal at her age. Mm -hmm. Actually, everybody, like Meryl, Viola, oh my god, these are women that I hope I can age as gracefully as they did. (laughs) So the reason why I bring all this up is because... Natalie Portman needed to win here in order to keep it a Natalie versus Emma Stone race heading into SAG. Uh, Isabel Huppert is not nominated for SAG. So I think at this point, I think Emma Stone wins SAG. No question about it. And then BAFTA. Um, yes, because Isabel Huppert is not nominated for BAFTA. That's correct. Yeah, she'll be ineligible there. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think BAFTA is the place to reward Natalie Portman for portraying a, an American first lady. It could happen, but I am leaning towards Stone. Yeah, I, I think La La Land is going to have a very good day at BAFTA. Yeah, I think the path is set for Emma Stone now to win the Oscar. The question I have here is, 
obviously the voting is happening right now, right? The ballots are out. They're still not due. It was a crucial moment for her to win, and this helps so much for people who haven't seen the movie. They're going to put their screener in between now and when ballots are due. You're talking about the Hoopera Stone. Hooper. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. That's what I was alluding to. Here. Yeah, I actually just had to revise my nominations. I had her at a sixth place because I took Hooper out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at this being a, almost a replica of SAG. And uh, at the moment. Except Hooper's in instead of Blunt, right? I Yeah, Hooper, but I've uh, taken Annette Benning out. Yeah, yeah, I think we have to take her out at this point for Oscar. Uh, I was thinking between her and Amy Adams, but I mean, they really do love Amy and she's been doing a lot more than Benning, it seems. At the end of it, it's such a strong year that it's just going to come down to who has been doing more work on the circuit. And Amy has really been there. Yeah. Uh, Zootopia wins for animated feature. No surprise there. Um, I think it's a path to the Oscar is now actually finally set. Although the critics really did try to make Kubo and the Two Strings happen. It's still a really fine movie. Um, but Zootopia is a, a much higher tier, so I'm very happy to see and it. And relevant, the most relevant movie of the year. And speaking of relevant, there were a lot, a lot of jabs tonight, a lot of uh, comments, and a lot of moments in people's speeches, but nothing, nothing compared, or just nothing stood, like, just Meryl, my God, Streep. Yeah, I thought we were going to talk about this towards the end, but I'll say now just that. I've made my Meryl Streep love uh, very clear here that she's the reason I love acting or watching performances and the movies and just everything I love about the industry goes back to her. They play this amazing tribute video. She gets up on the stage. It starts off as a normal acceptance speech, and then it becomes this passionate cry for just... Oh my God. It was just, I, I, I'm having a hard time like putting it into the words because literally it was everything. It was everything. I, I wanted to turn off the show after that because I didn't know how else it could go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we give, we give Meryl crap. I, I give Meryl crap for kind of replaying the same roles over and over again. Um, but watching the, A, watching that tribute video was fantastic because it reminded me of so many movies that I love. Um, kudos for all the clips from French Lieutenant's Woman, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, but her speech, I mean, um, I think that this Globes was probably the most uncomfortable to watch from a hosting standpoint. I'm calling it now. Jimmy Fallon was one of the worst hosts that we've had in recent memory. Mostly, Dreadful. Dreadful. Mostly because he couldn't have pedaled that bike back faster if he had freaking rollerblades on. I mean, everything was, oh, I'm making Trump jokes. I'm making Trump jokes. Motherfucker, you're the reason why Trump is considered a lovable guy, okay? You were mm-hmm. the one shaking his hair and calling it charming. I mean, for him to backpedal just seemed so disgustingly inappropriate. And that was when you his jokes... You can't have it both ways. You can't. You can't. And and when that that wasn't when they were tone deaf. I mean, really, a Cypress Hill joke. I guess if this was '96, it would have been great. Um, but but Merrill, I mean, said so much about what Fallon was doing. Being, I mean, she kind of called him to the table without calling him to the table. Right. And I, the only thing I wish she had brought up was, you know, she brings up the media. And I think right before this, at least on my channel. Um, they were showing Late Night with Seth Meyers. Watch Kellyanne Conway talk 
more shit about Trump. And I was like, that's the problem. That's the problem. So I, I kind of wish she had given like a snide, like NBC, you guys keep doing this, you know, with with this very problem. Um, but I think it was it was so, so needed. Um, and the fact that we had a really great diverse amount of winners, too. I mean, not a lot of uh, white people brought uh, brought up, which was great and uh, so, so necessary. But I mean, yeah, the political tension in this, in that room, just, you could have, you could have cut that with a steak knife. It was thick. Oh, absolutely. I was so glad that Mel Gibson didn't win Best Director, because that <laughs> right came right after Mel's right. speech. Yeah. yeah. And they, people showed, people showed, uh, I guess, photos of him watching that speech. Yeah, you could tell he was uncomfortable. <laughs> And then to end it, though, with Sylvester Stallone coming out to present Best Picture, who was at the Donald Trump New Year's party last week. That just, uh, I don't know. So what are you going to say? You're never going to invite John Voight to the Golden Globes ever again, basically? Well, I would say why. He hasn't been relevant in years, but (laughs) that's just I I mean, what what I'm saying here is that I think you guys are being a little harsh on people's um, appearance at an award show based upon their political stance. I mean, I think that's a little unfair, personally. Like, they, if they if they're there to present, they're there to present. They're not there because of the political climate that we're living in right now. What they should shut themselves in their house for all eternity and never come out. Like, I I don't I don't know what you guys mean by that. I think it's a cascade of things. I think it's the fact that they were there so publicly. They know the tone of the room. The fact that it's on NBC, which again contributed so much to the normalization of Trump and and led a lot to the election, I just think it was a, a t- it was a series of things, you know, for them to be on this network, for them for it for it to be such a politically charged show up to that point, you know, I think it was a combination of things. I mean, I'm not saying that Sylvester Stallone shouldn't have gone but i think i'm pretty sure when he goes backstage at the end of that that you know i'm sure people were talking shit about him afterwards yeah then and you know what that's fine people in hollywood will talk and you know what i mean it's like they're gonna ask you to present best picture uh and all three of your daughters from miss golden globe Which, you're not uh, gonna say no don't get me started on the miss golden globe thing no i know i know I, it's stupid <laughs> but i mean i'm just saying as i tweeted tonight maybe we'll have a remake of hannah and her sisters with the stallone daughters i can somebody please point to which one of those women is more like gorgeous i that is I don't understand how you are allowed to have, much like the Hemsworths, okay? They only get two out of three that are genetically perfect. Those three <laughs> ladies are all genetically perfect. I just, I don't understand that. Getting back to the uh, show, though, really quick, other than Meryl Streep's uh, amazing speech, I thought Viola Davis uh, gave a really great speech when she accepted the Best Supporting Actress Award for Fences. Um, and also did a great job at presenting uh, the award to Meryl Streep as well. That was really funny. Yeah. Very heartfelt. It was really fantastic, and she is so deserving. I'm very, very happy for her. Uh, what else happened tonight? I thought the speech for Zootopia was another uh, politically charged one that was um, that also had a really good message behind it. And realistically, other than you know to talk about uh, the show a little bit more, other than like the opening number, which regardless of your feelings on Jimmy Fallon, I thought the opening number was great. That was good. Uh, I, I don't think he uh, necessarily planned that. I think he was just sort of placed into it with all those other stars. Right. But it was well done, well crafted. 
I mean, the minute that we got Amy Adams singing and Sarah Paulson and Nicole Kidman all up there, I was like, I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) That was fun. I don't know how many people watching the show understood it. Mm -hmm. Because we have to remember that it's not just us watching the Globes. It's a lot of like middle America who doesn't even see the movies. Right. So if you didn't see La La Land, you have no idea what that is. The sound mix on that I thought was also really bad because I didn't understand half of the lyrics that they were saying. Well, I guess it was just a tribute to Another Day of Sun. Yeah, but they changed the words and I didn't understand what they were changing them to. No, I meant in terms of the sound mix. You couldn't hear either of them. Yeah, so I think that was my problem. I'm sure they were making like humorous asides and I didn't hear what they were. Um... But yeah, for me, um, I did. I did think uh, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell need to host their adorable little banter about her glasses. Um, Amy Schumer was horrible, but I did think that uh, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell were really cute. Um, so I They're voted. adorable. I thought Amy I've Schumer always was liked fine. the two of them. Mm. I liked uh, Steve Carell and Kristen Wiig. Yeah, that was that fun. was funny. That was funny. Although I was still reeling from the uh, screenplay win, which happened uh, before that, so I didn't really get a chance to pay attention as much. I think Kristen Wiig needs to present or even host uh, at every one of these shows because a couple of years ago, she and Will Ferrell presented at the Globes. You get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watch that very often. Yeah, I, I, I will say we if no if nobody else noticed, um, Fallon really disappeared towards the end. Like yeah. almost yes, James, almost James Franco level disappeared. Um, which but you makes, know what the show finished on time? No, it did, it did. But I, I, I wanted to hear that conversation. Like I don't know if that was always the intent, or if somebody said, "Hey, you know what? Why don't you sit back here for a little bit longer? Because we're gauging the tone of the room, and it's not really working out for you." Um, as far as uh, the television categories are concerned, though, did anybody have any takeaways uh, from any of those? So much love for Atlanta. I was so excited. I thought Donald Glover's speech. So good. Um, I was sad that uh, Gina Rodriguez did not win because I love her so much. But um, I don't watch Blackish. My mom does. And uh, she was very happy about that as well. So TV categories, uh, getting getting some much needed relevance uh, there. So again, Atlanta, if you're not watching Atlanta, binge watch it as soon as you can because it's fantastic. I had predicted Tom Hiddleston to win for the night manager, but I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that they would have won three acting awards, uh, including him. That was that was a little much, I thought. Very uh, Euro. Obviously, mm. they wanted to hear what Taylor Swift was going to come up with song wise when she says that he doesn't he didn't thank her in his speech. Mm. That's what I assumed. <laughs> Just like how Casey Affleck didn't thank Lucas Hedges. Oh, yeah, I, I, I did notice that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what if Lucas Hedges is like some real diva and everyone just likes him? <laughs> but, he, but he came off so charming at the Critics' Choice Awards. Just like how Sonny Power tonight like stole the hearts of everyone in America here tonight at the Golden Globes when he came on stage with Dev Patel. Yeah, not in Canada. I just picture uh, Jacob Tremblay sitting at home looking like a Betty Davis and whatever happened to Baby Jane. <laughs> just like staring into TV. <laughs> That was me last year. That I, was me. I want to ask how many people noticed it happen, not once, but twice. I don't know if you guys know this. But Hidden Fences? Hidden Fences apparently yes. is the sequel to either Hidden Figures or Fences. I don't really know which, but it happened fucking twice. Twice! Yep. And no one corrected it. No one bothered to go I up and correct it. I wonder if it was it. on the teleprompter. Um, the no. first time, the first time was Jenna Bush, so I am assuming that she just did not know. 
Um, and the second time was Michael Keaton, and that might have been a prompter issue. Although, I was what are these people not watching television trailers? Do they not have the fucking screener in their house that says hidden figures? I mean, it just two white people confusing one of the two major black movies out this year. I mean, it just it looked so bad not once but twice they couldn't have viola davis just walk across the stage and be all hey, it's hidden figures <laughs> just something something i'm assuming there's an apology in the scroll at the end that says we'd like to apologize to republicans and hidden figures cast members because we couldn't get it right <laughs> i was really miffed about that twice twice <laughs> Well, there's already a Twitter account for Hidden <laughs> Fences that came up during the show. I was very, very happy to see The Crown uh, take Best Drama Series. I, I didn't expect Claire Foy to win Best Actress, but I, I, I thought John Lithgow would win uh, Supporting Actor. Yeah, that was surprising that he lost there. That's a total HFPA bait. A balding Hugh Laurie. <laughs> I, need to, I need to watch yeah. The Crown. Everybody tells me I need to, and... I, I, I I'm will. only on episode three, but it is so well done. It's really fantastic. Can't even imagine what the budget for this show is. It's $150 million, I think. It's impeccable. I can't wait to watch, what is it, like six seasons that they're going to do? I don't know. Um, yeah, they're doing a decade in uh, the, the reign of Elizabeth. It's going to be incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. I, it's, it's one of the... It's one of the most exciting shows I've seen in quite a while. So, And Stephen Daldry does the first two episodes. And he got a chance to speak, and they played him off. He did. I, I guess he wasn't uh, extremely loud, and he spoke incredibly close to the clock. <laughs> uh, People versus O.J. Simpson repeated some of its Emmy wins uh, in Best Limited te- uh, Television Series and Movie, and the lovely Sarah Paulson also won for Best Actress. And that was great. I was very happy to see a repeat of that. Just keeps on rolling along. Uh, but that's pretty much it for it at this point, right? I mean, uh, or, or are they up for SAG this year? I can't remember. They're up for SAG. Okay. So we could see a repeat there as well. They for... premiered uh, February 2nd, I believe, of last year. Wow. So, yeah, a long time. And then they're going to have a feud is this year, which I cannot wait for. Mm-hmm. I and have then... very mixed emotions about that. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other uh, takeaways from the show? Uh, for me, I just want to just say, because it is my last thing I really have to comment on, is there was a gif of, um, well, there was a moment that I wanted turned into a gif, and I like tweeted about the moment it happened where Denzel Washington gave Casey Affleck a thumbs up when he was sitting down, but he didn't smile, and he had like this deadpan look on his face. It was awesome. <laughs> And somebody did make it into a GIF, and they sent it over to me directly. I was so, so happy. I'm going to totally end up using that now uh, forevermore. Uh, Other than that, I've got nothing else to really say about the Golden Globes this year, other than we have to keep in mind that the Golden Globes are not the industry, as we were saying a little bit earlier. Um, They are the Hollywood foreign press. They do not vote on the Oscars, and there is absolutely no crossover whatsoever. And... La La Land still does not have a SAG Ensemble nomination. so Which does mean something. We d- we are having our moment in the sun right now for La La Land, but just keep Another in mind day sun. that the social network and Boyhood also post-Critics' Choice and Golden Globes were having their moments in the sun as well until it all went downhill after that. 
So we got to just keep our eyes open. You know, Chris Tapley just tweeted last night that it was two years ago that Boyhood threw a we're on top, we're going to win party. <sighs> Damn. Oh, that's so that's got to be such an awful feeling. <laughs> and like you were saying um, off air, Michael, it's really, really hard to be the front runner for this long. I mean, this is really it, it's tough. It's not easy. It's uh, definitely going to be an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, it, it, it is or it isn't. That's the thing that I, I, I keep having a sinking feeling about is that it either is going to be interesting because maybe something else will win PGA. Um, maybe La La Land won't win WGA. But if it does win both of those and it does win DGA, these couple of weeks are going to just oh, so boring. <laughs> so, so boring. But... Eh, whatever. So what do we have next? We have a couple of Critics Awards coming up, just like we've had before, and all the guilds announcing. And then the next big show is, what, SAG in three weeks? Yeah, and then BAFTA. It's going to go fast. It's going to go super fast. Let's get out of here super fast. Michael, where can they find you on Twitter? As always, Mike Movie. And Kristen. I'm at journeys underscore film, and I did live tweet throughout the whole show. So if you want to hear my uh, comments with a lot of exclamation points, um, they are all up there. (laughs) All right, everybody. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. And a shout out also to Mike Vermette from earlier for uh, contributing on this episode. You guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, or Google Play. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.